Well, that leads well into the theme this morning from the Gospel of Mark, still in chapter 1, hope and help for the weary. We've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, really since we began Field Church, trying to understand the Gospel in its fullest. Still in chapter 1, after a couple months, is anything else new? At this pace, we'll be well past the pandemic, which will be awesome. I can already see that day coming. And Jesus will probably also return before we finish the 16 chapters. It's been intentional, though, to lay some foundation, some some bigger picture pieces that are important to hold that we might rightly receive and hear this testimony according to Mark. I recapped some of those a couple weeks ago, and then I laid another foundation. You don't need to believe before beginning to follow Jesus. All of our sermons are online. If you need to catch up, you're welcome to do so. So wherever we are today in our journey of faith, may we take another step toward Jesus, following after him. And I want to read a larger section of Mark, really probably larger than we've read up till now, almost the rest of chapter 1 from verses 21 through 39. And you're asking, how could I possibly cover this amount of content in one message? Don't worry, I've got at least another message coming at it from a slightly different angle next week. And if you have your devices, follow along, or your actual Bibles, see what jumps off the page as, as I read or as you listen, or off the screen, so to speak. What do you notice? Mark 1, 21 and following. So the disciples and Jesus went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early the next morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What do you notice? What jumped out? Perhaps a woman in bed with a fever, bedridden, perhaps, perhaps on her deathbed. And Jesus comes 
unafraid and touches her and heals her, restores her in a moment. Yeah, that'll preach today with the COVID numbers and cases surging and many in that place right now, deathly ill with a deep fever. Jesus, our healer, is one of the core tenets of the broader alliance family and Maybe more true than than ever, we have that sense of leaning in, of interceding for Jesus to come, to bring help and to bring hope in the midst of a pandemic. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief, as will be our continued refrain that comes from a prayer from a father in Mark 9. But remember, as we read the narrative story of Jesus... We, we must understand the difference between description and prescription. If you've been around for any length of time, you know I use that phrase often. There's a description of what is happening, not necessarily what always happens. We rightly come to Scripture to say, God, who is God revealing himself to be? What does that reflect on us? How then must we respond? But we must understand when it is describing what Jesus did, maybe not what he always does describing what his followers did that may not be fully commissioned for us and the nuanced differences between those. The record here says he healed many who were sick. Now, perhaps that was all who were brought to him. Perhaps not. We're not told exactly. But other times in Matthew 4 and Matthew 8, it says he healed every disease among the people, not just various diseases that we read here. In Matthew 8, it says he healed all who were sick. So we at least know as we come to Jesus with our infirmities or interceding on behalf of those who are sick, that he has a desire and a willingness and is able to heal, to bring life, to restore, and to renew. And I would just urge us in the midst of weariness to be thankful for our health today, to be grateful for life and breath, and to intercede on behalf of those who are sick and hurting, and to continue to be diligent and not underestimate the importance of the simple steps that we can take on behalf of the weak, the hurting, the sick, the needy, the marginalized, and those without access to quality health care. So certainly there's great hope and help in Jesus, our healer. And that's not my primary message today. I plan to come at it next week with unpacking why Mark would have chosen these accounts specifically as he begins to reveal Jesus coming and establishing the kingdom. Why these accounts? That's for next week. What jumps off the page to me, so to speak, is actually between the lines. Maybe that comes from years in ministry or pastoral work. But I see a very long and tiring day. Perhaps wearying even Jesus himself. That's what jumps out to me. That morning, Mark calls out, and if you knew anything about their Sabbath routine, as when sun came up on the Sabbath, Saturday, you, you as a Jew were off to worship, whether that was in private or with your family, and then quickly into the synagogue, where you would spend hours hearing the scriptures read, hearing the local rabbis or even visiting rabbis come and read from the Holy Scriptures, teach from the the Talmud, the Mishnah, the the doctrines of the the Jewish people. Hours of your day was devoted. All daylight hours were devoted to worship, to focus and center one's heart, soul, mind, and strength onto their God. 
And much of it was in the synagogue, hearing and receiving. In a time when you didn't have your own Bibles to crack or not, let alone an app to tune. And many were not even able to read themselves, would come to listen and to hear. We often check our watches after 20 minutes. This was their day. And that's how it began. And as was traditional, if a visiting rabbi came, and Jesus probably by this point already had some buzz around him, some stirring, he was quickly invited to read from the scriptures and then to teach. And so as was his custom, he did. But in this day, he was interrupted. But if I can count on, on one hand the times where we've had some significant interruptions in gatherings where not everyone's quite on the same page with what's happening. I remember one Easter years and years ago. I won't go into the story. God was at work in a mighty way, and so were the forces of the enemy, I believe. Some of you were there. In this time, Jesus, the very presence, the dwelling of God himself, is agitating the adversary. And this man who is demonized, oppressed in some way, if we were there, it's possible we would have called these demonized ones, these oppressed ones, uh, with mental, a severe mental disorder or schizophrenia. Or it may have presented something like that. And this man came and confronted, and, and there was something clearly off about him. Jesus saw right to the spiritual nature. And he drove out. He freed this man by driving out in the authority of God his Father the demon or demons that were oppressing him. And he brought him life and he brought him freedom. But just imagine that encounter, how, how tense that would have been for everyone involved, how emotional, perhaps even spiritually draining for Jesus himself to engage in the power of the spirit to confront and not, not to escalate, but, but to sense what the Holy Spirit was doing and the freedom that he wanted to bring. From there, from that place, they go to Simon's house. Simon, later called Peter. Intrigue is growing, word is spreading, and people are starting to be, to be drawn to Jesus and come to him. By sundown, it says the whole city were coming to Simon's house, forming a crowd, and not just any crowd, a crowd filled with needy people, with sick people. Not hard to imagine desperate people in those times without care, without, without ability to get health care, maybe infirmed for years with physical and mental type disorders. Mark calls out the oppression that was on these people. And from sundown, we see well into the night, Jesus is pouring himself out in ministry, taking time to meet with everyone. Not just a blanket be well and go, but a receiving line that went probably far beyond just what is your need? How can I help? But actually engaged the whole person. It was the way of Jesus. Now, interestingly, the Greek tense of the verb translated, they brought to him all who were sick would be better translated. They kept on bringing to him all who were sick. This rolled well into the night, perhaps well after midnight before the crowd dispersed and everyone had opportunity to meet with Jesus. And what do we read next? Verse 35. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Now, if this were you or me in that position, would not the text have read? And so after sleeping in well into the morning and having a relaxing brunch with avocado toast and bacon, 
They leisurely departed and went on their way. Instead, Jesus is up before the sun, seeking solitude and silence. The Greek word translated desolate here is the very same Greek word, eremon, that is translated earlier in this chapter as wilderness. As in verse 10, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, into the eremon. Here is the same word showing up again. Early in the morning, Jesus withdraws to the eremon and he prays. I think Mark wants us to clearly see that connection. I'm not sure why so many of the English translations, and I looked through many this week, translate that differently so that we might miss it in the English as we read it. Is it possible that the Eremon, this desolate place, the wilderness, is actually a place of strength, not a place of weakness? That the enemy, the adversary that came to Jesus to to tempt him, to test him, actually misunderstood that this was a place of strength because Jesus was dwelling in solitude and silence with his father. And he thought he was catching him in a place of weakness, just seeing that he must be hungry. How can I get at him? Is it possible that Jesus is onto something? That solitude and silence, communion with the father through prayer, is maybe the most restorative thing that we can find. In a time where clearly his body was tired, if not his soul weary, at what he had experienced and seen now with his very eyes, the amount of need and pain and loss and oppression amongst just a local town, nonetheless, the region and the broader world. It's not hard to imagine a weariness, a need for sleep. And don't, don't, don't mishear me, there's a need for sleep and rest. But as many of you probably know, weariness, if you feel that, often precludes good rest, doesn't it? And Jesus is looking for solitude and silence, a quiet place. And for him, the only time to find that right now in this season of his life is up before the light, up before the rooster crows. I was just waiting for that to be a moment like the sun coming out, but you have to wait for it and you can all chuckle when the rooster crows. We are living in the midst of a pandemic. It's interesting to have to even say that. I'm not sure the whole world has figured it out yet. Sometimes we need to even remind ourselves that we are living in the midst of a pandemic, which should influence how we respond, how we wait, how we endure, and how we act. But to be transparent, these are long and wearying days. And for me, and I think for our family, maybe we, we have probably felt it more acutely in the last few weeks than at any other time in this pandemic. And we know, we know we're not alone. We know there's an enemy and an adversary that probably has been waiting in many ways to oppress further, to now speak lies into life. And we would stand against that and rebuke him in the authority of Jesus of Nazareth. He has no place here. He has no place. He must flee. But we feel the sense of weariness, not just a body tiredness. Zoom fatigue is real, but that's only one of the sources, isn't it? The shortened daylight hours can be oppressive and many, many struggle already in this time in this season. And then with the reminder of holidays, which should be full of joy, for many are a reminder of loss. And there's a hard season that we are still in. And then it's the unknowing, right? If there was a date circled on the calendar of how long to endure, we'd all respond differently. It's the how long, O Lord, prayers that God's people have prayed throughout the millennia, that we are finding ourselves praying for sustaining grace. I believe Jesus was weary, and that's where our hope and our help comes from. Don't mishear me, sleeping in if you can, getting a brunch, 
traveling to where it's sunnier and warmer are all good things. But maybe they shouldn't be the first things we turn to or whatever might be on your list. Whatever the world says, here's the answer for your weariness, your despair, your anxiety, your stress, your unsettledness. And we could turn in many places. Perhaps Jesus is on to something, finding solitude and silence to commune with his Father, to be present and to receive. Because more sleep and a good brunch and the sunlight are only temporary, aren't they? Perhaps what Jesus points us to is eternal, eternal help and hope. Just as Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, you'll keep coming here day after day because you're thirsty. But if you come to me, I will give you living water so that you will never thirst. And he calls us and invites us to the same. We look to Jesus, his life and his words as he rises early to the Eremon, a desolate place, a quiet space. And again, I'll say this is not prescription. This is description. We're not then immediately told. We don't see a teaching from Jesus. Then he taught his disciples to do the same, to follow after him. We can so easily make these prescriptions, can't we? If, if you really want to call yourself a Christian, you'll be up before the sun and up before anyone else and on your knees for at least an hour. Set the clock. We can make these unnatural disciplines as if they are what lead to holiness. Holiness has nothing to do with the sunrise. It has much more to do with obedience and sacrifice, disciplines and value, and the love of God. Because of the love of his father is what was drawing him into these places, is what, was, what had him likely up. My guess is he was weary and he was up with the weight that was upon him. But instead of rolling and tossing and turning, he goes and finds communion with God, his father, and probably gets to enjoy a sunrise to boot. You might be in a season where carving out quiet space is easier. COVID has brought that, depending on life circumstances. And for others, it's far more difficult. Anyone with young kids in the house? Finding quiet space is so challenging. And we might need to carve it out. Holiness is not about the sunrise or the time of day. If all your option is, is five o'clock in the morning, then set the alarm is my encouragement. If you can find that quiet, uninterrupted space when the daylight is shining, then praise God for that too and be thankful for that season. Many of us are in full seasons with few margins, just as Jesus was. We can follow his ways and his rhythms. And maybe we will find that sense of peace and purpose, hope and help. As a small example, I don't know about you, but when I have a headache, I go to the pantry and get a Tylenol. That's my first response. And then if the headache persists, I begin to pray about it. And sometimes that takes a while. Why isn't the Tylenol kicking in? Why am I, why am I dealing with it? Or any pain, for example. I, wanna, I want my first response in times of unsettledness or pain to be prayer, like a reflex. And then go to the pantry because I've got Tylenol there. Praise God for it. There's gifts of healing that have whole new expressions in our world today. Praise God for the medical professionals, for the medicines that work, that help, that bring healing. We do, those are gifts of healing. Turn to them. But would, as a reflex, our first response be, Lord, help. And as we broaden this to the sense of weariness, 
or pain or loss or stress or anxiety or unsettledness or depression or despair? Would our reflex be turning to the ways of Jesus for solitude, for quiet, before turning to the other things, which may be wonderful things, wonderful, restful, healing, hope-filled things? Let's not over-spiritualize it or prescribe it, but let's be people that, like Jesus, had a way about him, had a rhythm. And would we follow into that way? If you find yourself weary, more sleep may not be what you need most. Jesus came to bring an upside-down kind of kingdom, an inside-out, really the right side up, the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, it's worth noting, I found this interesting this week, that before Thomas Edison, that era, let's just say, the average person slept, wait for it, 11 hours a night. The average person. That meant many slept more. I, I think it's fair to say that Jesus slept more than we do. Even in this season of life, I mean, they set their day. I mean, he was probably up at sunlight most days, as most were. But sun set at six after the evening meal. There's only so long you wanted to stoke those oil lamps and keep the fire burning. And after communion and, and sharing and maybe more prayer or certainly ministry in this time, I don't think every day looked like this for Jesus. He probably slept and slept well. Just food for thought because I'm thinking Jesus in scope of things has more to do than you do and more to do than I do. It's a little easier, by the way, to get up at five if you go to bed at nine. Just saying. Maybe not at the moment the alarm goes off, but it's a little easier to wake up if that's a rhythm. You say, how can I possibly go to bed at nine? I've got Netflix. As followers of Jesus, we would do well to actually follow his ways and rhythms. And if we find ourselves weary, he shows us with his life a counterintuitive approach. Now, you might be asking, what would I possibly do at that time in the morning, at that quiet? Nothing. That's the point. To be present with God. If your mind drifts to tasks and to-do lists for the day, it is helpful to have a, a pad of paper and to write those things down and then leave them. Leave them both mentally and maybe slide them away. Don't pick up your phone. Just giving some practical nuggets here. You know, I know you keep your notes and everything ordered on your phone. Transfer them from the paper to that phone later. Make that a discipline. As soon as you pick up that phone, there's noise. There's distraction. For this whole year, I've been attempting to have the first voice into my life be God's word and his presence. And it's so difficult to not look at my phone and see if I've missed anything at 5 or 5.30 or 6 in the morning. But I'd be sleeping anyway, wouldn't I, if I didn't carve out time to get up early? So what do I need to see? What have I missed, really? I want the first voice to be God's voice in my life. Try that as a discipline as we move into this coming season and perhaps the next year. It doesn't have to even be long before you check other things. I'm not saying carve out a whole hour, although a Mother Teresa and many of the mystics throughout the ages, that was their regular rhythm, an hour of solitude and silence and prayer, nothing else, not scripture reading or memorization or journaling or no output work, just receiving, just communing with God every day. And many of them would say, and if it was going to be a busy day, I'd spend two or more. <laughs> Quiet, solitude, rest, the foundational rhythms of life. Why were so many spiritual mystics onto something? They looked to the ways of Jesus. And where did Jesus learn this? From communion. 
with the Father from these places. They gave him life. They renewed his soul. He also learned it from the scriptures. Isaiah 50 verse 4 is a, is a passage describing maybe the, the Messiah figure, but also just a faithful servant of God. In contrast to the wayward Israel at this time, Isaiah 50 verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. More important than the time of day, although I think first things first does have some value. The prayer that's here, and my prayer is, Sovereign Lord, awaken my ear to listen like one being taught. I want to hear you, Lord, like one who knows that they have so much yet to learn and discover. There's so much noise in our life. Quiet is hard to find. And I think some of it, even in a busy season, is our own choice. If the first thing we do in the morning is turn on the TV and the last thing we do at night is turn off that TV. And the first thing we do when we get in our cars is turn on the radio. I'll I listen to podcasts when I walk the dog, when I work in the yard, when I take a shower. I invite noise, hopefully good voices into my life, but oftentimes they're just noise. Finding solitude and quiet. And by the way, just driving around in silence. If you haven't done that, try how hard that might be if you are alone. To indicate maybe where you are in the comfortability with solitude and silence. But even the, the, the quiet voices, the silent voices, maybe the most wearying and destructive, our social media, our news feeds, the voices in our own head that we look to silence, we must look to silence or carve out spaces in the Eremon as we commune with the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the way. Some of the mystics like Mother Teresa, and I'll name another one, Henry Nouwen, the 20th century Dutch priest and author, he said this about solitude, and then I'll wrap this up. He said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen to him. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the way and then for telling us he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me and follow my ways, even as we are coming to believe in him more and more, and we will find rest for our souls. Let's pray that prayer together. Awaken us, Lord, morning by morning. Awaken our ears to listen like ones who need to be taught. Awaken our souls unto you that we might be ready to be agents of your kingdom wherever you might send. All for your glory. Amen.